0: Welcome to This Week in Sustainability from Sustainable Business Australia. I'm your host, Andrew Woodward. This Week in Sustainability is a snapshot of global and Australian market trends, news and research about the path to sustainability through action on sustainable development and climate change. Each week, Sustainable Business Australia Chief Executive Andrew Peterson will take us through the week that was with analysis, insights and implications for business. We'll do all of this through the lens of the Sustainable Development Goals. So Andrew, it was a big week last week with International Women's Day. We'll talk about that very shortly. But in all of the news about International Women's Day, Uh, the Australian government, uh, from what I can gather, sneaked out something uh, the other day from uh, Treasury, and that's the government response to the Senate Economics Reference Committee report on carbon risk. So can you tell us what the response was and a little bit of history about uh, uh, this piece of work?
1: On the 7th of March, the Australian government actually released, finally released its response to the Senate Economics Reference Committee report called Carbon Risk, a Burning Issue. Now... This report and obviously the um, reference committee's report uh, was, uh, in fact, in response to an inquiry that was held in 2016-17 to the issue of what corporate Australia should be doing about identifying, uh, monitoring and reporting carbon risk uh, in their um, company accounts. And the government, in its response to the Senate Economics Reference Committee report, actually is confirmed that there is no legislative barrier to the full adoption of the recommendations by the Financial Stability Board Task Force on climate related financial disclosures. Now, this task board actually brought out its own report uh, in 2015 through to 16 and then into 2017 through the G twenty. So this is an international corporate reporting obligation that now emerges for corporate uh, in uh, both Australia and right across the world in relation to carbon risk. So context in relation to the uh, committee report was a uh, recommend, set of recommendations, six in total, in its report that targeted on the competence of framework for disclosure of carbon risk. Now, the government didn't accept all of the recommendations. It accepted some of them. But as I say, the important thing for business is that the government has confirmed that there are no barriers for full adoption of the recommendations. And I think we'll expect to see later in the year further action um, either by government or by the regulators, whether it's APRA or ASIC uh, or ASICs, actually introducing some guidelines or recommendations for um, changes to existing guidelines on um, ESG reporting on carbon risk.
0: OK, so we're going to stick with carbon and now head up to Canada or the United States in Canada. And we have some interesting news concerning California, Quebec and Ontario, and they've announced the results of their first joint cap-and-trade auction of carbon allowances. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so we often hear about California and Quebec setting an example on climate change in the face of um, the Trump administration's determination to go backwards. Well, during the week, um, results were announced that demonstrate that the North American action on carbon pricing through what's called the Western Climate Initiative, has now gained a very valuable new partner in the um, province of Ontario and that that partnership is now succeeding in reducing emissions. So California, Quebec and Ontario. And the results of the first California, Quebec, Ontario joint auction of greenhouse gas allowances that was actually released during the week showed a, a very high, record high volume of allowances for sale and that the current auction actually sold out with the price clearing just above the floor level. Now, this is an indication of the strength and the stability of this newly expanded carbon pricing market, and even more significantly, it's a very real-world demonstration of the benefits of linking cap and trade programs.
0: And moving over to the UK, well, you know, in in North America, they're talking about reducing emissions. We're seeing news from uh, the UK that emissions are tumbling.
1: Absolutely. Fresh analysis, which was released during the week, highlighted the dramatic fall in carbon emissions within the United Kingdom. So low, so reduced that they've now really uh, reached a brand new low that's unseen in normal times for almost 128 years. Now these figures have been based on the United Kingdom's Department of Business Indu- Indus- uh, Energy and Industrial Strategy, and they were analysed by the Carbon Brief website. In that analysis, the data shows that carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels declined by two point six percent in twenty seventeen, following a five point eight percent drop in the previous year. Now this means this means that the UK's emissions are now the same as when Vincent van Gogh died or Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray was actually first published.
0: And Andrew, we've got the EU unveiling a sweeping new strategy to boost the role of sustainable finance in driving emissions reductions throughout the trading bloc. What's happening there?
1: So as we see the the emergence of carbon risk becoming both a risk for companies, but also now increasingly an opportunity to identify and invest and innovate – this week, we saw the European Commission unveiling some sweeping new strategies to boost the role of carbon financing uh, right across the emissions profile through the trading bro- block of the EU. Now, this is significant, it's it's groundbreaking, and I think we're going to see it emerge as a opportunity for Australian business to invest in, but also, increasingly, Australian um, companies call for this kind of uh, strategy to also be introduced into Australia over the next few years.
0: Okay, let's have a look at how companies are approaching uh, sustainability now, and we're going to look at this uh, in two respects. First of all, Andrew, we have a report from IAG, uh, which uh, looks at uh, sustainability being a key driver uh, in growth for companies.
1: And it was interesting research because it confirms what, um, I guess, Uh, qualitatively a lot have known in the sustainability uh, industry or profession for a large number of years, but now has a form of quantification around sustainability driving growth. This new research from uh, IAG's brand in New Zealand, NZI, uh, finds that there is a correlation between sustainable businesses seeing improved productivity as well as lower costs and a stronger um, uh, image As well as a platform for competitive advantage. Now, this research, which was released by NZI, shows that those who now run sustainable businesses where they take into account environmental, social, and economic factors are now twice as likely to grow as those that are not engaged in the agenda.
0: Okay, and in the United States, we've got a report from Ceres. They've had a closer look at how more than 600 of the US's largest companies. uh, responding to calls for greater uh, sustainability and positioning themselves for success. So, Andrew, what are some of the uh, uh, the key themes emerging from this report from Ceres?
1: Well, this report uh, called Turning Point, the Corporate Progress on the Ceres Roadmap for Sustainability, that's a bit of a mouthful, uh, as you say, is a very uh, intricate look at how uh, 600 of the companies in the United States are beginning to respond to signals around climate risk, uh, biodiversity risk, um, social uh, and people risk, and how they are beginning to um, identify the steps for uh, recovery and renewal of their particular strategies, so that uh, in a world where, and particularly in the United States, where there are challenges around the uncertainty of the Trump administration's response to issues like climate change, they will actually be better placed uh, over time to respond to those challenges, notwithstanding the policy may not be aligned with what those business practices are.
0: And many of those uh, companies last week had a lot to say uh, about uh, International Women's Day and gender equality uh, in the workplace, as to government uh, right around the world. Can you give us a a top line look at uh, some of the key takeouts you had from last week and some of the things that uh, uh, companies and government did?
1: Yeah, well, let, let's start with a report that was issued by uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers um, that uh, reminds us all that while the issue, uh, uh, the focus on um, international women's um, issues and, for that matter, uh, gender more broadly and empowering women and girls, we still find that paying women less than their male counterparts is is just hampering economic growth in the world's major economies by trillions of dollars. So, for example, PwC identified that Korea actually has the biggest disparity in pay between the genders with a gap of over 37% compared to the OECD average of 16%. In contrast, Sweden, the difference is 13%. Uh, Although, uh, ironically, I thought, uh, Luxembourg has the greatest wage equality with a gap of just 4%. Now, contrast that with Australia, which is actually close to the average of uh, about 14-15%. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, At the same time, there was a major report issued by the University of Sydney Business School uh, titled um, The Australian Women's Working Futures Project, Uh, First of its kind, not just in Australia, but also in the world, and it is a uh, combined qualitative as well as quantitative study prepared by an interdisciplinary crew at the University of Sydney, which focused on the experiences and the values, as well as the aspirations of young women, uh, working women aged between 16 and 40 years. And it's definitely a report that people should um, go to and have a read. Then, of course, um, countries have an obligation in relation to this issue as well, and it was very interesting to see that um, French companies will now only have three years to raise their gender pay gap or face actual fines under plans that were um, presented by the French Prime Minister, Edouard Philippe, to unions and as well as to employers. Uh, in France, men are on average paid 9% more than women in France, even though the law has required equal pay for the same work for the past 20, uh, 45 years. So again, a lot of work to be done. And in a final and perhaps interesting um, uh, twist, we saw um, the uh, identification of the fearless girl that stands outside uh, Wall Street facing the Wall Street bull and has done so and faced down the Wall Street bull for over a year, um, which was put in place by a well-known investor group called the uh, State Street. And they have identified that uh, in a recent report that in the time that um, they have been pressing for more more companies to actually add women to their boards, they have in the last year been successful in uh, pressing for more than 150 companies in the United States, the UK, as well as Australia, to finally add one woman to their boards. Now, that's not a lot, but it is progress.
0: You have to start somewhere. So Andrew, what can you just not let go of this week? I wonder if it's going to come from the United States. We've had a lot of talk about steel tariffs over the last week and also. Things have gone quiet when it comes to Donald Trump talking about pulling out of the Paris Agreement. So there's been generally not that great news coming from the United States, but uh, you've got some um, good news from the motor se- sector that I believe you just can't let go of.
1: Well, I think the um, the thing that I couldn't let go of this week was actually an amalgamation of a variety of these sustainable development agenda issues of climate change, of mobility, of um, women in the workforce. And for that matter... Um, institutional change and changes in business models. So the um, conference uh, called CERA, which is held as an energy conference in Houston uh, during the week, the chairman and CEO of General Motors, Mary Burra, who, by the way, is the only female CEO of any automotive company in the world, reaffirmed, reaffirmed their General Motors strategy for a world with zero crashes, zero emissions and zero congestion and at the same time announced an increase in the production of the Chevrolet Bolt EV later during the year um, out of their um, assembly plant in Detroit. Why? Because there is a consumer demand that is now increasing uh, right across the world, and in particular in America, ironically, for affordable electric vehicles. Uh, Mary also shared that there's more to come from General Motors as the Bolt EV will now serve as the company's platform providing a window into an all-electric and self-driving future for General Motors. Now, that's quite dramatic. And that's this week in sustainability with
0: analysis and insights from Andrew Peterson, Chief Executive Officer of Sustainable Business Australia. Our members receive a comprehensive weekly digital report of these and other news stories. This includes links to key insights and tools from the world's leading CEO-led organisation, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. We welcome new members. Go to our website, sba.asn.au, for details on how to contact us. That's it for now. I'm Andrew Woodward, and we'll be back next week with another edition of This Week in Sustainability.